the labyrinth of the eclipses. In this episode, we explore Mercury's retrograde from Gemini back into the sign of Taurus, Jupiter's ingress into Aries, Ceres movement into Cancer, and the Scorpio full moon total lunar eclipse, and how we are in the midst of this labyrinth medicine as we move through the eclipses. Welcome to Stars, Stones, and Stories. I am your host, Rama, and together we are weaving ancient future wisdom as we birth the new earth. If you're into astrology, cosmology, living mythology, earth-based spirituality, and ancestral healing, you are home. If you've stumbled upon this podcast and are new to these topics, this is Southern Sanctuary to expand and deepen your wisdom. As a cosmic priestess, I witness many at the threshold of great transformation. I specialize in astrological divination, sacred site activations, and priestess arts for the Aquarian age. You may learn more about my work and budding mystery school at earthseedtemplearts.com or follow Earthseed Temple Arts on Instagram. This community is your opportunity to claim your story, your unique identity and power, knowing that you are the hero of your own journey. You are a hologram for the collective, and you matter. The world needs your gifts and creativity now more than ever. Crystallize your medicine. Oh, great ancient ones, great ancestors, we call to you. May you hear the voices of your descendants traversing through time and space. We humbly ask for your support, your wise medicine ways, and your genius solutions in these times. Dear ancestors, we wish to partner with you, for we know we cannot do this alone. As we traverse the mystery, we ask that you, our starry ancestors, are with us each breath of the way. May we have clarity of mind and crystalline vision to see through the dark. May we walk our paths of high holy truth, as that is what is needed now more than ever. And so it is. We are in the season of this quantum eclipse portal, each one of us receiving so many potent and powerful transmissions within our lives. As this eclipse portal is highly activated by Uranus and Taurus, we are each receiving lightning fast awakenings and revelations. 
and the energy, the pulse of the frequency has felt alive since the Thursday, the Jupiter day before the partial solar eclipse. I am recording episode 51 for you. It is Friday. It is Venus Day, May 6th. And we began recording at 8.55 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. As it is Venus Day, it is Friday. It is the day of the feminine, of the goddess, of Earth's elder sister, the wise sphere of Venus, which reminds us about what is it that we are cultivating in our lives? How do we contribute to culture? What are our value systems? And this is very important to continue to come home to with Uranus's transit in Taurus because each one of us individually is awakening and collectively we are awakening to amplify, to align our values with our day-to-day lives so that everything is in sync. And we could say that the challenges, the spaces and places where we have to dissolve, where we have to let go, where things are dying, they are departing our lives so that we can align more clearly with our values. And ultimately, this is a gift. So much is stirring and moving through the sphere of Mother Earth, through her body and through our bodies. The dragon energy is fully awake for us in the Northern Hemisphere as we're in the season of Beltana. The dragon energy, the meridians of the Earth's body, where the ley lines, the energy currents intersect. We have these very particular portals, just like in the human body. When we consider acupressure and Ayurveda and acupuncture, these are ancient scientific systems that speak to these sacred portals in our body. And Mother Earth also has these sacred portals. So we are at a time where the dragon energy is stirring. The dragons on one level are protectors of the planet Earth herself. They're protectors of time and space. And one could say each one of us as a human being has a dragon as a protector. This is a topic we've been really diving into in Earthseed and our Spring 2022 Council. The dragon current has been very, very much alive. And so if you find yourself more drawn to dragons than usual, we always notice that more with the eclipse energy as Rahu and Ketu literally are the dragon head and tail. This is an ancient dragon serpent energy that also we could say on one level is connected to the phoenix. These mythological creatures very much root ancient cosmologies and perhaps our future cosmologies as well. I find dragons and labyrinths are very much intertwined and there is a particular frequency of the labyrinth that is wishing to come through in our journey. And so as we go through this 
labyrinth, eclipse, transmission, we will come deeper and deeper into the heart of the labyrinth in our time together in episode 51. As many of you know, I was recently in Tucson, Arizona for the iAstrologer OPA Organization of Professional Astrologers Conference. I've been a member of OPA, I believe, since 2019, and I believe that it is important when we claim a field to really dive into it in all the ways. Astrology has become quite popular because of the pandemic. I think a lot of people wanted to go deeper into their lives, and I think a lot of people kind of were not feeling fulfilled in their jobs, and they're like, oh, I'll just... I'll just become an astrologer overnight. And there are some amazing, really young, budding astrologers out there. I got to meet some of them in Tucson, and I'm really excited for the field of astrology and where we're all headed. And it's really refreshing to meet young professional astrologers because I think a lot of the young astrologers I've met, and I consider myself a young astrologer, but let's be honest, I'm about to begin my Uranus opposition, so I'm not quite as young as some of these who haven't even been through their Saturn return yet. Uh, that being said, quite often when we're we're kind of taking a pulse of the collective these days, it is through the realm of social media. And what we see out there around astrology and social media is a lot of people who've maybe read a book or two and then think they're an astrologer. And astrology is is deep and vast. I came across it in 1994. I, I mean, I'm sure I came across it before then, but that was really what I remember as my initiation because I received my first astrology book, Parker's Astrology or Parker's Astrologer Astrology. Um, when I was at the OPA conference, Samuel Reynolds, who's a, a great well-known astrologer, he was speaking and showed in his presentation, he pulled up the charts of uh, the couple. I can't remember their first names. We'll just call them Mr. and Mrs. Parker or Miss and Mr. Parker. And I was really excited about that because that was actually my initiation into astrology. What I always remember is that book. And I used to just thumb the pages of the book and I would try to figure out how in the world do you draw these charts on your own? I mean, the computers were just coming to life around 1994 and, uh, life was so different than it is today. That's for sure when it comes to technology and what you have at the grasp of your fingertips. So it was quite an initiation for me. And I love the layers, the layers of how time and space weave together. And as I was gathered in Tucson, a number of us got up early at three in the morning and we went out into the desert to view Jupiter and Venus coming to merge in Pisces. And it was so beautiful to be out underneath the Milky Way and to see so many shooting stars and to see the galactic center and 
all of these spaces and places that are really home portals for me in many ways. And I'll never forget watching as over the edge of the mountain, just staring in the Soguero cacti and um, seeing Jupiter come up over the horizon where the mountain and the sky met. And then Venus in her glory rose so fast to meet Jupiter. And then they just hung out together next to one another and became one light. And it was such a beautiful, powerful moment as they became one light to be there with so many other astrologers that have this passion for the sky and the stars and the archetypes of these planetary beings and the myths and the cosmology. It allows your consciousness to expand even more. And I felt such a beautiful expansion. It was so rich and spellbinding on some level. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I took the time away from my life to invest in this art and science in this way because I now come to you in a new way. I come to you really feeling fulfilled but also feeling proud, feeling proud of being a professional astrologer and feeling like even though I record my podcast in the closet, I feel like I really came out of the closet as an astrologer. When I was beginning back in 2017, that was when I really began to call myself a professional astrologer. I came across some other astrologers who really questioned my right and my integrity to call myself an astrologer. And that was at a time where I was beginning my Pluto square Pluto initiation. And I speak to these transits, Pluto square Pluto, Uranus opposition, Neptune square Neptune, These are midlife activation points that all of us go through. A lot of astrologers know and speak about the Saturn opposition, or sorry, Saturn return. And so collectively, many people who are learning about astrology, that's now in the collective vernacular. Many people are still learning about these other life passages that we all go through and they're really intense. And that's why people call it a midlife crisis. I like to call them midlife activation points because they activate something within us so that we can really see our true potential, our true power, where we have been blind to our own unique gifts. And so it was around that time that I felt almost shame in calling myself a professional astrologer. I questioned, did I have the right to do this? I knew I had invested countless years of self-study and I had mentored with a number of people. I had lived and breathed the astrology on the daily since my pregnancy, like really, really tracking it and
and even journaling extensively about my experiences. And I had been weaving astrology into my offerings very consciously for years. It wasn't until I was at a workshop and I had about nine participants surrounding me. It was not a workshop I was hosting. I was a participant myself and I was giving everyone mini readings. And that was like when it really clicked for me. I was like, I am an astrologer. Why don't I own this? I own my other gifts and talents. So it's been a journey of self-worth for me. And I share that with you because I think we all go through layers of doubt and shame and fear in our gifts and our abilities. And I think when we're transparent about it and we share our stories, we inspire others to really own their gifts and talents. And what I experienced in Tucson is that there is more than enough space for a plethora of well-versed, well-trained, professional astrologers. There is plenty for all of us and that we being professional astrologers only thrive and our craft only elevates when more professional astrologers come on the scene who are really dedicated. That was that was important for me to experience. It's so combined with this Jupiter Venus alignment and this Taurus new moon and this eclipse and this bounty of blessings that Venus and Jupiter gave us through their marriage, through their kiss. Before they rose, we could see Saturn and Mars in the heavens. And in ancient astrology, they're seen as the malefics. And a number of us were talking about how much we love them. I love Saturn. I love where Saturn lives in my chart. It's challenging. Saturn is a massive teacher. However, Saturn contains us. Saturn gives us structure and form. Saturn gives us deadlines. And when we lean into that, we can be successful. And Mars, Mars gives us this ability to take action and move energy forward. And when we can understand how we're innately wired to do things, that is a gift. And so I appreciate the ancient look on astrology. And as you know, I speak a lot about this ancient future time that we're in, this ancient future culture that we're creating. And I think it's important that we look to our roots and to the legacy of that which we come from, that does not mean we should be bound by tradition. We are meant to really modify and transform and seed something that also simultaneously comes from the future. At least for me, that is part of my truth. And we all have our own unique truths. And that is what 
I believe this Aquarian age is really and truly about. As we come to this Sunday, which in the United States, it's Mother's Day, so it's a, it's a tender day. There are many people out there who have had challenging relationships with their mothers, or there are many people out there that wish to be a mother and they're not, or there are people who love their children and are really struggling right now, right? Like Mother's Day is an interesting time for all of us. And I would just like to offer you, wherever you live in the world and whatever your beliefs are, just a reminder that we all have Mother Earth. We have that spirit of Tembalu, as they say, in Dagara land, giving gratitude to Elder Maladoma always. And Great Mother Earth, Gaia, Sophia, however you relate to her or him, right? There's a masculine aspect to the earth as well. Jeb from the ancient Egyptian cosmology, Tingon from Dagra land. They see the earth as male and female all at once. That mother, father, god, goddess. We all have this earth to lean upon and the earth I like to call her she. You can insert whatever you wish in there. She is here for us. She supports us. She loves us. She knows your name. She knows your dreams. She knows your fears. And she is so here for you. And so as we come to this first quarter moon on Sunday, the 8th of May, and the moon is aligned in Leo, it's a time where we can really come into our connection with the earth a little bit deeper and just remember that we have so much support and i always recommend taking a moment and giving give some milk and honey for this earth that feeds you so very much and the more we give the more we tend to the other world the more it will give to us in turn so we have this concept happening in the 3D world of inflation and everything is spiking and there's so much fear out there about resources and lack consciousness. And if there's any part of you that's feeling fear or lack, that's always a good time. That's an excellent sign to give more. You don't have to give all you have. You just give some and give it with gratitude and give it with prayer and give it with respect and give it with trust and faith that the earth is going to continue to provide for you through all of the transformations and transitions. And so this brings us to our Mercury retrograde season. It's our second Mercury retrograde in 2022. This is a year where and the Mercury retrogrades start in air signs and go back into earth signs. We know of Mercury as our communication, our thoughts, our ideas, how we share information, how we write, how we speak. Mercury very much governs technology and the the swift things that happen on the day-to-day -day and our local travel. Um, Mercury can connect into appliances and anything that we're really 
that that connects us, that helps us understand one another on the daily. And so when Mercury goes retrograde, it is this illusion that it's going backwards. It's it's a wave. Everything in astrology is like a wave, an ebb, and a flow. And so as Mercury goes into this dance, it is a time of reflection. It is a time of review. It is a time of regeneration around the energy that Mercury is in. So we know this Mercury retrograde as an air sign and an earth sign. It's Gemini and it's Taurus. And Gemini is one of Mercury's home signs, its main home sign, in my humble opinion. And Taurus being ruled by Venus, we know that, you know, we've had this new moon eclipse in, in Taurus. We've got Uranus in Taurus, which has been ongoing since 2018. So there's some layers here around Mercury really wanting us to reflect and to revise and to rehash, to renovate our speech, our thoughts, our ideas, our inner self-talk, our outer language, how we write, how we communicate, how we do emails, how we do our copy anywhere, whether it's our websites, our social media, so many topics, right? How we write letters to one another, how we write academic papers, uh, how the press communicates. And as we go into Taurus, it's like really this opportunity to go deeper into our value system. What needs to be revitalized around how we spend our money? How we spend our money and our time? Is it congruent with our value system? What about the things that we own? Are are they things that represent who we are? Do we need to go through our closets or go through our refrigerators or, you know, organize our gardens for the crops to come? There's so many ways to dive into this Mercury retrograde. And Mercury retrogrades are really beautiful, fertile times. I love them very much. And I have a lot of mercurial energy in my chart. And so I feel them really strongly. And I'm not born during a mercury retrograde. Some people, I think a lot of people who are born during mercury retrogrades actually do better when mercury is retrograde. That being said, as we know, pop astrology really blows mercury retrogrades out of the water, sensationalizes them. You know, it's like, don't buy this, don't buy that, don't say this, don't do that. And let's blame our entire lives and all of our shadow on mercury and the other planets. And I just would like to offer, let's stop utilizing astrology and other sacred tools to avoid facing the deep inner work we need to be doing in our lives. Because Mercury retrograde just wants to assist you in that deep inner work. And so Mercury in, began the shadow of this retrograde on the 26th of April. And that front end shadow is at 26 degrees, five arc minutes Taurus. Then on the 29th of April, which was the day before the eclipse, Mercury shifted into its home sign of Gemini. And we have the retrograde officially happening on the 10th of May. 
and that is at 7.48 a.m. That's Eastern Daylight Time. Mercury is shifting at 4 degrees, 51 arc minutes, Gemini. Then Mercury will go direct on the 3rd of June at 4.01 a.m. at 26 degrees, 5 arc minutes, Taurus. And by June 19th, we will have completely cleared the shadow of Mercury retrograde. We will be free and clear until our next season, which will be in September. When it comes to the day's Mercury stations, so when Mercury stations retrograde and when Mercury stations direct, those are the days and the times that are most sensitive. And that's the point where we see the most snafus around technology and all the things. And what I advise people is it's really ideal to not sign any important contracts during a Mercury retrograde. And it's ideal to not buy, like, you know, not invest in major new purchases. However, if you are replacing something you already own, like let's say you're replacing a computer, you already own the computer. So it can actually be a really good time to replace it. If you're getting a new washer and your other one broke down, like it's a great time for that because you already own a washer or a dryer. That being said, I would avoid marriage at all cost during a Mercury retrograde because generally speaking, when we get married, we want to do that one time. That's not something we're looking to revise or redo. Now, you know, there are people who like to renew their vows. And so we could say a ceremony to renew vows during a Mercury retrograde. If there's other astrology happening that you're really excited about, that could be really a beautiful thing. So it's all actually case by case, right? And there are times where um, it makes sense to sign certain contracts during a Mercury retrograde. So there is no one size fits all with anything in the world of astrology, just as there is no one size fits all for anything in any topic of life. And I think it's important we sink into that more and more so that as a general collective, we can all become more sophisticated in our understanding of astrology, and this will only elevate astrology for all of us. I want to explore with you this energy of the Mercury retrograde. So the Sabian symbol of five degrees Gemini, and this is the degree that Mercury will station retrograde at on the 10th of May, is a revolutionary magazine asking for action. The explosive tendency of repressed feelings and root emotions. So we know that there's an opportunity with this retrograde to really sink deeply into duality, into polarity, into the fact that in any situation, there's two sides on a coin, right? There's two faces. And it's like the yin and the yang. There's an equal and opposite. And in any given moment, there is that truth, right? Like 
When we consider the dance of the multiverse, we need darkness to see the light. And we know that the root of all of creation comes from a dark cosmic womb, which is beautiful. And shadow work helps us to understand our light even more and to become more conscious of who we are. So there's an opportunity with this Mercury retrograde to really play with duality and to sink into it and to be more open and to be more curious. And these are qualities of the Gemini, of the trickster, of the storyteller. It is coyote medicine. It is all about being playful, being witty, being young at heart, meaning not getting hardened by concepts, dogma, dharma, ideals, being fluid and malleable and mercurial. Therefore, there is a call with this Mercury retrograde to be malleable, to be playful, and to lighten our hearts to see other perspectives. The star sparks for five degrees Gemini is an immense tortoise with jewels inlaid in its back. One could say that what we carry on our backs is is quite a heavy load and that we are moving into the future with this splendid, multifaceted, multicolored vision, a promise, a great call. Everything we move through pulls us towards that place beyond and we could go anywhere we could do anything we could be anybody when you are so vast you are able to see and feel and know so broadly and as you anchor into a true destiny path which partakes in the multiplicity the potential that exists at every point in time and space. And ultimately, this proves to be all-inclusive, all-encompassing, and quite vast and staggering in its reach. And you can feel the pulse of the world becoming and moving through you. How does one become the world to activate forces of possible futures to host and to orchestrate to be the conductor and to play within the symphony. Each initiative, every probe into the unknown is really into free space. It is into potential. It is into dark matter. What is sought in connection? What is sought is connection with whatever has been previously tuned out. And so as we go deeper into our awakening, we're going deeper into that starry field, those cosmos themselves. As Mercury stations direct, again, that will be on the 3rd of June at 4.01 a.m. at 26 degrees, five arc minutes Taurus. The Sabian symbol for 27 degrees Taurus is an old Indian woman selling the artifacts of her tribe to passers-by, the peaceful adaptation to collective needs. 
to function within the culture that has sustained one through a long life, to bring personal peace and her contentment in old age, the power of the collective once more reasserts itself, overcoming the perhaps the boundaries that one makes to assert their uniqueness and their individual character. The star sparks for this is a man sculpting hedges into animal forms. This is about taking something further that will require skill and application. What one bears for the world is a vision, a knack for selecting what is essential to work on, to transmute, to stay with, to be fortunate enough to be graced with whatever resource or whatever dimensions will support and sustain this pivotal fruition. There's an opportunity as we shift through this Mercury retrograde to stay curious, to stay playful. And then as we culminate and we come through the other end of the portal, to also be aware of the collective needs. And this is a, a vast topic for us in the Aquarian age. There, we're really coming to an interesting polarity around the individual and the collective and what is selfish and what is selfless. And how do we navigate our unique identities and the care and the concern for humanity at large. And it's, it's a wild topic because I'm not sure we can fully sink into what any of this means without the, without the safety net, without the protection, without the good fortune of true village life and village culture. And we know that the Western psyche, the Western perspective, like one of its most flawed actions has been literally destroying the village from indigenous culture and literal psyche on some level. And I know Elder Maladoma would speak about this, and I know other indigenous medicine people have spoken about how it is really going to be up to the Western psyche to create the healing that is needed to bring the village back into life. And this isn't about... and. You know, the Dalai Lama has the quote that, like, the Western woman will save the earth. And I used to quote that on my website. It actually might still be there because I know it is time for me to update my bio. I have not updated it in a couple of years. And bios are just something we want to be on top of on the regular because we're always changing and growing and evolving. However, I. I used to love that quote. I I still like it. I don't love it anymore because I think it elevates the Western woman more than the indigenous woman on some level. And I think that we want to be elevating everyone. And I I think that when that quote 
really started to pop. It was a it was needed for many of us to hear. And uh, there's also there's a lot of layers within there that could be unpacked. And this isn't really the the episode for that unpacking. However, I want to say that it is going to take the Western psyche to come to the full awakening that the nuclear family and the structure of Western culture does not serve the collective reality. In fact, it causes more harm than good. And it feeds into the divide and conquer strategy that has been used by the overculture for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that does not serve anyone. And so as we go deeper into this Aquarian age, this is this is something that it's going to be up to each one of us to create more villages, essentially. And this doesn't mean we all need to like go start an eco-village or be a part of a commune. It, it, it is going to have to happen naturally through time and space. When, when these things are forced uh, and people have not actually done their true deep inner healing work and taken responsibility to where they have been on that victim, perpetrator, rescuer triangle and elevate out of that, then we just continue to create more trauma with one another. That being said, each one of us can create like create and participate and co-create village mentality in our local communities in different ways, right? By by plugging into communities that share our value systems and building bridges and literally communing with others and sharing resources and sharing knowledge and sharing ideas and cheering people on, right? Like uplifting and elevating others is a really big piece to rebuilding the village and grieving together as well, right? Like grieving and having space for sacred rage to be explored in community, in healthy containers, in healthy ways, and stepping in for one another to to assist with rearing children and allowing our children to feel that they have they have support outside of the nuclear family that they have support from other elders in their community and this is something that we are all, are all charged with in these times as we come to the next major transit in our current astrology. I think it's interesting that this has been the topic that has come up organically because when I plan these episodes, I have particular notes and research completed. And then there's other elements that just kind of bubble up to the surface and I I flow with them because I know that there's someone out there that that needs that medicine for a reason. And it's interesting because we're about to go through the shift of Jupiter into Aries. And Jupiter settled into Pisces at the very end of December of 2021. 
Jupiter cycles are 11.86 years. So Jupiter is in each sign for about a year, give or take, depending on its retrograde in that year. And Jupiter is in Greek mythology connected to Zeus. Jupiter rules both the signs of Sagittarius and Pisces and is connected to the day of Thursday, Thor's day, Jupiter, Thor, Zeus. The color associated with Jupiter is yellow, orange, and Jupiter brings in this warming, expansive, mobilizing force, very inclusive, very embracing, connected to our ligaments and our muscles in our body, wishing to explore wisdom and spirituality, and to really touch into where the soul ascends beyond the material world. As one expands, we can have a flux of success, wealth, creativity, growth, new ex- concepts are experienced. And Jupiter is the bridge to the personal planet. So it is a social teaching planet like Saturn. And it is that benefic social teaching planet, whereas Saturn is that malefic. And they go hand in hand, right? And so when we have these great conjunctions of Jupiter and Saturn merging, we have a cultural renaissance. And we spoke about that at length in episode 16 and 17 of my podcast. And that was around the time of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction at one degree Aquarius. And for episode 17, I was in Egypt recording and I was on the grounds there at the pyramids during that conjunction and that alignment. And it was really powerful and very Aquarian. There are so many fascinating things happened uh, around technology and systems and people and it was a it was a very significant shift. So it was in December of 2020, late December, that Jupiter moved into Aquarius. And it was on that winter solstice that Jupiter and Saturn met up at the first degree of Aquarius in 2020. And then as we know, Jupiter went into Pisces in December of 2021. And now Jupiter is going into Aries. So we had a little snapshot of Jupiter and Aries in 2021. If you think back to the spring, May, I think it was like May 16th through like July 2nd of 2021. I'm just going based off of my memory here. So those dates may not be completely accurate, but it was around that window that we had a snapshot in time of what it was going to be like for Jupiter to be in Aries. And now Jupiter is going to settle into Aries on May 10th. It's going to be at 7.23 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. As Jupiter offers the principle of improvement, Jupiter is searching for our ethical values. Everything it touches is expanded and grows beyond its limitations. So we know there can be a lot of success, a lot of wealth. There can also be false hope. There can be over-optimism. And um, there's very much a force of conscious and a 
force of faith and belief and ethics. Now, Jupiter in Aries wishes to find meaning through self-expression, to expand through new adventures. Aries is very independent and is here to develop a greater sense of self. Aries wishes to, to initiate, to be eager, to be confident, to be direct, to be daring, to be innocent, to innovate, to pioneer, to be the warrior, to really show up, to stand up, to use, use all of the body kinetically, to move. It is a time where there can be a lot of forward motion with Jupiter and Aries. And as Jupiter shifts into Aries, we have Venus in Aries, we have Chiron in Aries, and we have Eris in Aries. And between Jupiter and, and Chiron, Venus is sandwiched in the middle, conjunct both, but Jupiter and Chiron are not yet conjunct. So there's this momentum of great healing, individual healing, the healing of the feminine. However, there is a great chance that people are going to be rash, aggressive, self-centered, overzealous, headstrong, impatient. There can be more accidents because people can do things that are completely nonsensical and so this is this is a transit where we really want to be strategic with how we're expanding over the rest of the year. There will be a short time where Jupiter will retrograde back into Pisces in the fall. And so it's just we, we want to be conscious around what we agree to, what we take on, we really want to think about it and say, is this something I want to go the distance with? Like, am I going to want to do this in a year from now? Because if if it's a short-term thing and it doesn't make much logical sense, it's probably better to place your energy and your focus and your sacred time and your values into that which really will go the distance. However, we can also use this time to be more passionate, to feel more inspired. And some people really do need to get a little more aggressive and stand stronger in their power. I think a lot about Sekhmet with Jupiter's transition into Aries. I think about the warrior and the sacred feminine and and how we need to hear the voice of the feminine warrior Sekhmet as daughter of Ra who came to earth to restore the balance because humanity had forgotten the ways to honor the Naturu, the gods and the goddesses, which are essentially the aspects of nature. Humans had forgotten. They had fallen asleep with how to honor nature. It seems like we may not be too far off from that here and now. And and when we get bogged down and overwhelmed by life, one of the most radical and simple solutions is to go to the natural world 
and to give our gratitude and to consider how we can align our lives more with the natural world. Because the natural world is literally the gateway to the other world. I would invite you to consider with Jupiter and Aries, where do you need to be more aligned with your sacred rage? Where do you need to be more passionate, more willing to take a stand for the truth and to do it in a way that's assertive, but is also innovating, that is also pioneering, that is direct, that is straightforward, that is honest, and that comes from the heart, a pure heart, a heart that is aligned with the collective simultaneously while it's aligned with your own personal truth. Jupiter in Aries is going to help us to tap into our ability to feel the faith of the unknown, to illuminate a holy guardian angel, and to to really harness that energy and believe in yourself, to expand your direct experience of life, and to have faith in your own resources and your own self-worth. And so you might wish to ask yourself, where do I desire to improve my life? How may I look to the future and expand my horizons? And how may I be more generous with others? On the 15th of May, Sunday at 3.08 a.m., we have Ceres, the asteroid goddess of womb and tomb who governs the cycles of life, who nourishes us, who nurtures us, the goddess of grain and sustaining food and life, shifts from Gemini into Cancer. And this is such a lovely alignment because cancer is connected to that archetype of the divine mother. Cancer innately wishes to nourish and nurture through food, through emotions, through love. It's it's a great time to sink deeper into your gardens, to really give thanks for the food that you have. I believe we're in a time where we want to be more grateful than ever for our natural resources. Every time we are graced with, you know, clean, live, fresh water, giving thanks for that. Every time we sit down to a nourishing meal free of pesticides and chemicals and GMOs and all the things that are artificial, giving gratitude to the natural world for sustaining us and the farmers that have grown it and the various hands that has passed through to reach our tables and to feed and nourish our bodies and our hearts and our minds. Saris in Cancer will assist you with this. And it, it's, as humans, we we need that physical nourishment through food, but we also, we need the emotional nourishment. We need to feel safe. We need to feel sanctuary. We need to feel sacred touch. We need to feel held by others. And so this is a beautiful transit to hug and love the ones you're with on an even deeper level and to gather around the table, to share food, to share song, to really be with each other and to commune in this blessed way.
I'm so grateful that you are circling up for this podcast. Many of you are avid listeners and have been with me since the very beginning of episode number one, which was two years ago, two years ago from the launch of this episode came episode one. So I am celebrating two full years of delivering these podcasts every other Friday. Technically, this should be episode 52, but as many of you know who follow me that when I was in Egypt in December of 2021, I was not able to birth one of the episodes, so I got backlogged a little, but we are finding our rhythm once again, and all is flowing and all is good, and so I love it that you take the time to receive these transmissions because this is a collaboration. This is an art collaboration between each one of us, and I just invite you. I have a community, Star Stones and Stories community on Mighty Networks, so if you're on Mighty Networks, you can find me under Earthseed Temple Arts. And within that, I have the Star Stones and Stories community that is available to anyone and everyone who loves this podcast. I have a few other circles there that are circles for people who invest through my Patreon page um, in mutual reciprocity. So if that's something you're interested in, please check out patreon.com backslash Rama tribe to see how you may plug in to receive in that extra special way. Also, I always invite you, please make sure you're receiving my weekly Venetian love notes. And um, if you wish to support this work even further, you can book a high caliber divination session. I find they're particularly supportive during times of the eclipse and all of my availability is up through June. I will be traveling abroad on pilgrimage in June and for part of July. So if you're interested in a divination session, I would really encourage you to book your time slot now. You can do that easily by going to earthseedtemplearts.com. Just on the very top of the page, you'll see an orange bar click there and then it'll take you straight into the online booking. As I'm recording this, I just got a text message from my friend. I have not been up on social media a lot since I've been in Tucson because I've been integrating and there's just so much shifting and changing with the eclipses. And I find whenever I get on social media, it honestly dysregulates my nervous system and can take me out of my flow and my creativity. I'm not keeping up with that as much as I would like to. And I just want to say one of my friends got like there's someone who's named Aria Grace who is using my photo and she is going into people's direct messages saying, I am Aria Grace. I'm a light worker from Florida. I felt a connection to you when I came across your page and uh, my divine guide wants you to know it's time for you to step up. Um, I'm a spiritual guide and heal healer and I'll guide you to your transformation and affirmation. So I want to say if you get any DMs from me on Facebook, on Instagram, 
99.9% of the time, they're not going to be me. I rarely direct message anyone on social media. In fact, the only times I do is if there's no way I can find their email contact and I don't already have their phone number or another way to connect with them. I personally do not, I've never liked DMs on social media. I just, I think that they're weird. I mean, maybe I'm old school. I don't know. I've just never really liked them. You can't unread them once you've read them. And so if it's something important, I don't have a way to keep track of it. I do most of my important messaging with people through email. And if I'm close with them, I will text them. So I'm making a policy from here on out that I'm going to have no DMs at all on social media because I know a lot of people are scamming others and trying to get money and proposition people. And the reality is I would never DM someone on any social media platform encouraging them to have a session with me. In fact, the only time I give that invitation is here on my podcast, and that is because I do not have sponsors. I do not have advertisers. I could have sponsors on my podcast. I could have people come and advertise on my podcast, but I don't. So I sponsor myself because running a podcast takes a lot of energy, okay? Like to research this episode, I spent about five hours. That's five hours I could be meeting one-on-one with people. I'm spending the time to record. There's the upkeep of the software, which costs, I think it's about $80 each month. So there's a lot of costs. There's a lot of investment. And I do it because I love it. And that's also why I take the time to invite you to like have a session with me or come to an event. But other than that, I'm not going to ever DM you on social media and say, hey, let's have a session. That is so not my style. In fact, I am very subtle, subtle to a fault. And I'm learning how to be more straight with people and just like, you know, promote myself and be proud of who I am because I am proud of who I am. But I've always been into the subtle arts. I have a lot of 12th house energy. So I want to be clear. I am going to make a, you know, a policy that I'm no longer going to receive DMs. I'm going to delete all of my DMs and I'm going to update my Instagram bio when I'm able to. Right now I'm locked out of it because I made an edit in Tucson and now it won't let me back into the edit the bio. I have um, two public accounts on Instagram and that is my Earthseed Temple Arts handle and my Star Stones and Stories handle. So those are the only two handles that are public. I have an old one, Rama Tribe, which I'm going to make private and just for friends, uh, like really close, intimate people. And so I will be making that page private. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be proactive because I know of many, many people who have fake accounts that are following them. And um, I want to be clear, like I don't DM anyone on social media. I never will DM you and speak to you in that way. Like, hey, sis, I don't even talk to people like that. It's this is part of the Aquarian age. And I'm, I'm feeling feisty about it because it's just not OK. But this is this is 
part of the landscape we have to deal with. I know a lot of people are dealing with it. And I just don't want people harassing others in my name or with my photo. That is not cool. So many of you already know me, but I'm just going to take a moment to share a little bit about myself. I am an artist, astrologer, alchemical mentor, cosmic high priestess, an herbalist, a grid keeper, a pilgrimage steward, a sound healer, and the creatrix of this podcast, and also a budding mystery school, Earthseed Temple Arts Mysterium. I've been studying the stars for over 27 years and have just completed my dissertation with merit to receive a Master of Arts in Cultural Astronomy and Astrology, where I discuss the great conjunctions of 2020. I utilize Western tropical astrology techniques, melding traditional, mundane, psychological, evolutionary, intuitive methods. I'm also into magical astrology, and um, I've been a yogi for over two decades. I've been teaching yoga since 2006, and I blend kundalini and kripalu hatha style techniques into yoga. I've been a devotee of the goddess for the majority of my life, consciously, and um, really grateful to circle with you. As of now, Star Stones and Stories has had over 23,000 unique listeners in these past two years, and the web of star stones and stories, the sacred net it has spread out into 84 countries of Mother Earth. So thank you so much for being here. And if you're inspired by this podcast, I always invite you to spread the word, share this podcast with three beloved friends, people who you know will benefit. And if you're newer here, there are a number of episodes that have been most adored. So take some time to listen to episode number one, episode number 16, The Great Conjunction, episode number 39, The Otherworldly Gate of Samhain, episode number 40, Bloodlines and Starlines, episode 41, The Super Magnetic Eclipse Portal, and episode 42, You Are Limitless. And with that, I'm just going to share a few upcoming events, and then we're going to get back into the eclipse frequency because we have this Scorpio full moon coming up, and it is potent. And so to support you through this eclipse portal, those of you who live in Appalachia, beginning this upcoming Monday, so it's a series of four Mondays, the 9th, the 16th, the 23rd, and the 30th of May at West Asheville Yoga. I'm offering an eclipse yoga series with some kundalini yoga, breath work, meditation, gong sound healing. It's from 7 to 8.30 p.m. All levels, all abilities are welcome. Please come join us if you feel called. The series is $44. It's very affordable. The drop-in rate is sliding scale. So if you can't come to all four, you can drop in as you like. And I would love to see you there. Everything is better when we come together in community. And that brings me to the 15th of May on Sunday, depending on where you live in the world. Some places it will be early in the morning on the 16th of May. 
I'm offering a virtual, global, live, online Scorpio full flower moon workshop from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I know it sounds insane, but just hang with me here for a minute. This is a special event to honor this full lunar Wiesach flower eclipse at 26 degrees Scorpio. So we're coming together to honor the great elementals, to honor our ancestors, through yogic technology, deep meditation, sound healing, astrology. And this eclipse is a massive death and birth. It gives us a time to clear out the shadow lands, to go deep within the powers and the recesses of the mind, to really find our zero point self and to let go of the spaces and places where we've been in denial, where we've just completely... Uh, devoided our our true selves. So we're going to come together and expand, clear, transmute our ancestral ghosts in a sacred container. So you're welcome to circle up with, with us and it's drop in. So, you know, if you get tired and you need to go, or if you can only come in for a portion, that's totally welcome. It will not be recorded. This is a live event. It is a sacred space and um, it's going to be beautiful. Now on the 21st of May, that is a Saturday evening from 7 to 9 p.m., I will be back at West Asheville Yoga offering an eclipse integration workshop that will be more in-depth than a drop-in class, and it will be a way to really integrate everything we've experienced in this Beltana Fairy Eclipse portal. And again, for the locals on Sunday, the 29th of May, is the Gemini Dark Moon Women's Wisdom Council from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. This is my last in-person offering until late July, as I will be in Egypt on pilgrimage and then traveling to the heart of Avalon. And um, I'll be abroad until mid-July. So if you want to come in person, please make it to one or all of these events. You're most welcome. This brings us to the Scorpio full moon total lunar eclipse at 25 degrees. 17 arc minutes. It is happening at 12.13 a.m. moon day. That is Monday, the 16th of May. That's Eastern Daylight Time. Now, as we know, eclipses open up new portals, new dimensions in our lives, and we are sandwiched in between the solar and the lunar eclipse as I'm recording this. And these eclipses give us an opportunity to really come deeper into our truth, to see the truth that we we need to experience, to know, to feel, despite how uncomfortable the results may be. Eclipses quite often mark major events in our lives, from births to deaths. Quite often these are psychological births and deaths. I say that because sometimes people, you know, really tense up. However, a lot of people do tend to leave the planet, especially during particular eclipse cycles, and a lot of new souls do tend to come in as well simultaneously. 
And so we have these vast, unexpected shifts, and these are shifts that mark our lives. They mark our culture. And whenever there's an ending, there's also a beginning. This cycle of life as we chant sata, nama, life, death, birth, rebirth, renewal. It is, it is a continuum. And the eclipses remind us of this continuum. When we come to a lunar eclipse, quite often there's an ability to really allow for the endings, to allow for the emotions and the revelation of true character to come forth. As this eclipse opens up, it begins at these, all of these times are going to be given for Eastern Daylight Time. So you're going to want to adjust for your time zone. But the eclipse begins at 9.32 p.m. on that Sunday, the 15th of May, and is a partial eclipse at 10.27 p.m. The full eclipse will begin to happen at 11.29 p.m. and peak at 12.11 a.m. with the complete eclipse done by 12.53 p.m. Then the partial eclipse ends at 1.55 a.m. and the full eclipse portal is closed by 2.51 a.m. We will be able to see the eclipse in Asheville, North Carolina, assuming the clouds allow us to. And so this is something to take into consideration. Whenever the eclipse is visible in your area, you're going to feel it in a much stronger way than if it was not visible. The moon is at 25 degrees, 17 arc minutes Scorpio, and the sun is at 25 degrees, 17 arc minutes Taurus. With any full moon, the moon and the sun oppose. And in this eclipse, the sun is conjunct both Mercury. Mercury is retrograde at 3 degrees 37 arc minutes Gemini. And the eclipse is also conjunct the, sorry, the sun is conjunct the north node in Taurus. Now, the moon is in a trine. So there is a lot of free-flowing gifts that can be received between this lunar eclipse and Mars in Pisces at 24 degrees Pisces. Mars is how we move energy forward. Pisces is that dreamer, that poet, that artist, that priestess, that priest. Jupiter is also trining the moon as it is at the very first degree of Aries. And Neptune is also part of that trine with Mars. Now, Mars and Neptune are coming to meet up. They're coming into a conjunction, and this will be after the conjunction, that really expansive conjunction of Jupiter and Neptune. And so there is a, um, as we're dissolving, right, because lunar eclipses are so much about letting go, as we're dissolving, Mars and Neptune are coming to meet in in mystical Pisces. So there's a there's a real like spiritual element around our high self, our collective self and where we are that channel and that muse and how to have that dream and whatever is 
restraining us, wherever we are assuming we're bound, like how do we let go of that? Right. That's part of what this Scorpio we suck full moon wishes to do is just like I was describing it yesterday to the Starwalker transmissions, which is part of the Patreon community that I'm building. We are building those of you who are here. I know you all listen to Starstones and Stories. So, so grateful for you all and so grateful for my interstellar supporters who just go the distance with me. I, I love each one of you. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm just given, given some silent prayers to these beautiful women because you're each in my hearts and you really truly are. So just giving you all some love right now. Because this is part of that that muse energy, right? When we when our values align with what really lights us up, it lights us all up. It elevates us all. And so this Scorpio eclipse is it's deep. And it's like you can imagine you've got a big tub of water and you're just gonna pull the plug. And that which goes down the drain is everything that is no longer serving you from attaining that high, holy, really mystical, creative dream that is yours and yours alone. It is your unique dream. And so this eclipse is, is working phenomenally with that trine between Mars and Neptune and Jupiter to assist you in your highest expansion Meanwhile, there's this other beautiful aspect with Pluto, and we know Pluto is retrograde and Capricorn. So again, it's like that shedding, that dissolving of whatever's holding you back. And the moon is squaring Saturn and Vesta in Aquarius. So it's like wherever we're too rigid in our rules and wherever sometimes even our devotion can get a little rigid. Sometimes it can, you know. So it's like wherever we're a little too rigid, wherever we're feeling almost like we're getting neurotic about our service, that's a sign that we need to let go, right? Like we want to devote, we want to pray, we want to give gratitude, and we also need to surrender. And this eclipse is really supporting us, each one of us, on how to surrender, as I mentioned, Mars and Neptune will come to marry, and that's going to be on Wednesday, the 18th of May at 24 degrees, 59 arc minutes, Pisces. So as we go back to this eclipse, as I mentioned, the sun is conjunct Mercury retrograde and the north node. We also have Uranus still in Taurus, Pallas Athene in Taurus. So they're all conjunct by sign as well. And so what is what the moon is on some level revealing is again it it, it comes down to our value system it, it's just like this is the continual thread as we're going through this cultural renaissance as we're architecting this new earth it's all about our values it's all about our beauty and our harmony how we're egalitarian with the earth and with the unseen realms and with the other world. The moon is at 26 degrees Scorpio, and this is American Indians making camp after moving into a new territory. The ability to adjust swiftly to a new situation by tuning into its requirements. 
How may we live in harmony with the natural world, finding ourselves intuitively at home everywhere, not making demands upon life, instead identifying oneself within the great rhythms of the biosphere and function, at peace with what it produces, dissolving the dominator culture. And the star sparks is a she-wolf, her udders full of milk. The instinct is to preserve, to maintain, to hold, to have, to be suspended in individual expression and fertile with worlds gone by and worlds yet to be, to protect and to sustain. A primordial dance is existing always. As we feel with any eclipse portal, there is massive transformation, radical upgrades, major restructuring happening in our lives. And the lunar eclipse, the total lunar eclipse in Scorpio, because we know of Scorpio as being the opposite of Taurus, where we go deep into the abyss, deep into this ability to really resurrect self as we journey through the archetype of the scorpion and the snake ultimate archetype, in my humble opinion, the phoenix and that concept of the phoenix rising from the ashes. There is a journey through the eye of the needle. And this journey through the eye of the needle is all about this cycle of life, sa-ta-na-ma, life, death, rebirth, over and over again, infinity, that is the dance of creation and this Wisak full moon eclipse is an opportunity to once more jump and shift and navigate timelines. And there is a frequency of pioneering. How do we pioneer through this portal? How are we open to our deep courage? How do we have greater awareness and insight to that which is true and real and stands the test of time? And so because this eclipse occurs in the sign of Scorpio in tropical astrology, and it is the phoenix energy, we also have a connection to the story of Medusa as the sun is conjunct Algol opposing the moon. So there's a light on the story of Medusa that comes through this fixed star of Algol. The moon opposes the sun and the sun is conjunct Algol. Algol comes from the Arabic al-ghul, the female demon, but is really connected to the um, Gorgon Medusa in the ancient Greek constellation mythology. And this is a fascinating story. The, the Greeks took hold of the Medusa legend. How, however, she actually goes back to ancient Libya. And for the Greeks, Medusa was well known for her beauty and her gorgeous hair. It is said that her beauty would would compete with Athena's beauty herself. However, 
one day in, in one of the variations, as there are with these stories, there's always many different variations. And one of them, Athena's father violated Medusa in her temple. And Medusa was blamed for this violation and was the one to suffer the punishment for defiling Athena's temple. Therefore, Athena transformed Medusa into a monster with snakes for hair, and she fled to the cave of the Gorgons where she would remain until Perseus murdered her at the request of Athena. There's very much a parallel between uh, the story of Medusa and the story of Lilith, as there is a journey around sexual oppression and finding solace in a cave until some particular well-respected deity is dispatched to kill her. And it's fascinating about going into the cave. I'm, I'm really sinking into this in a new way because we think of caves. I personally think of caves um, from my ancient Paleolithic studies back at Hampshire College when I was a young budding scholar in the late 1990s, early 2000s, studying ancient goddesses and interdisciplinary arts and thought that my path in this world would be to be a producing studio gallery artist. And here we are, producing studio art and guiding people through the interstellar weaving of the cosmos using the multiverse as the canvas, as one could say. This story of Medusa is actually important because this is what is linking this particular eclipse to the last eclipse that we had. And when I speak to the last eclipse, the lunar eclipse that occurred before so there's a this, there's a thread here around the story of Medusa. And we could say on one level, Athena and Medusa are actually one. Athena at one time was also depicted with snakes having serpent power, serpent wisdom, like many of the old goddesses are all connected to either the serpent or the bird. As we think of the head, the head is the crown. And the ancient Egyptian, those who were really respected and powerful, there's there's different headdresses that the gods and goddesses wear. There's the Uraeus, which is the serpent crown that comes out of the third eye. There are beings like Sekhmet, who wears the solar disk. Anytime we're speaking to the crown, it is it is the crown of the head. The crown symbolizes our connection to higher source consciousness. And when we also consider the crown that a monarch would wear, in the ancient world, on one level, the, the symbol of the crown is actually a symbol of that being who is in devotion, devotion to God, goddess, source consciousness, and is actually a servant on behalf of humanity for the gods and a servant on behalf of the gods for humanity. So there's a, a humbleness and a ability to really show up in service that 
actually is connected on one level or another to the crown. Therefore, there's a particular frequency around this lunar eclipse to ask us to harness our phoenix energy, to ask us to seek out the deeper meaning in the things that we do in our lives, the day-to-day activities, our connections. And so one way to connect with this eclipse is to really create an affirmation that instills within you that from this day forth, you create sacred space to live within always. I would like to invite you to imagine the crown chakra of Mother Earth herself, Taragaya, Mount Kailash in Tibet. It is said that it is important to give one's full attention to this annual full moon, this Scorpio full moon, this Wisak full moon, in particular to the 90-minute period leading up to the exact culmination time of the Scorpio full moon. And as we know, it, it occurs at 12, 13 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So that 90 minutes beforehand is going to begin around roughly 10.45 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And so if you join us in the event, I'm offering the Scorpio Full Flower Moon live global teaching, you have an ability to circle up in community and commune around this frequency. It is at this time that an individual may find their own true true will illuminated by the earth spirit. The design and the details of one's own work becomes clarified through this activity. In 2022, a new Melchizedek cycle begins as Jupiter has shifted into Aries. Jupiter is crossing over what we call the Aries point, which is the cardinal point of new beginnings, of birth, of um, it, we, it is absolutely a new 12-year cycle coming to life, coming to take form. And there is a birthing of the world intent regarding cultural harmony and mutual respect that is very much aligned on this WESAC. And I just want to give a shout out to my dear beloved sister, Akal Pratam, for introducing me to the work of Robert Kuhn, who have literally just a dipped a toe into his books. I've only had the time to literally read three or four pages in two of his books. Every time I open the book, I'm like, wow, I've been tapped in, tuned into this man psychically for many years now. So thank you, Akal. And she's a, a beautiful artist in Australia and listens to these podcasts and creates her art to them. And I know there are many others of you out there that are creating and weaving beauty. And I love it when you take the time to introduce yourself and let me know who you are, because then as I'm transmitting, I really know the hearts of whom I'm speaking to. So once more, I just want to invite you to join us from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time for the virtual global Scorpio full flower moon workshop. It's going to be so beautiful and it will be an opportunity to really honor this 
We sack flower eclipse at 26 degrees Scorpio and to come together to transmute our ancestral ghosts in a sacred container. I want to say no one will be turned away due to lack of funds. So the suggested offering is 44 US dollars to circle up in this way. And if for some reason you're not able to contribute that full amount, you can email support at earthseedtemplearts.com and um, we'll give you a link to prov- so you can provide a donation and then we'll set you up with the um, details to dive into the portal with us. And I, I just want to speak to the potency of this eclipse and how a couple of days after we have Mars and Neptune meeting up in Pisces. And there's this beautiful kind of like magical Piscean energy that is um, really bookending these eclipses because we have around that partial Taurus solar eclipse, we had Venus and Jupiter kissing in Pisces and now just two days after this total lunar eclipse, Mars and Neptune meet up in Pisces at 24 degrees, 59 arc minutes. And so there's something around uh, this bestowing of miracles and a, a bounty of beauty and creation that is being asked to come forth from us. And then Mars and Neptune are aligning to bring action to the dream. There is an element around reformation with this degree of 25 Pisces. And the stone associated with this is chiastolite. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is so connected to this Wiesak Scorpio full moon. I have worked off and on with Chiastolite for a number of years. And if you followed my work for years, you'll remember that Magdalene's Muse oil that I used to make. And I have like a couple of, I have just like a couple of, um, rollers of that anointing oil left, I I will be making it again one day. It's a beautiful formula. It, it came to me many years ago. I think it was in, the formula came in 2017. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful formula. And I, I make the oil from the base up. And Chiastolite is one of the stones that goes in the oil. And chiastolite is also known as the cross stone. It is a stone that provide, provides harmony. Um, it understands how we can restructure ourselves when we go through great transformation. And it also aids in astral travel. But what I love about chiastolite is that from the Taoist perspective, they see it as thousand-armed Buddha and that it helps one to complete uh, 26,000-year cycles, providing a quantum leap and ancestral healing. 
And I just think this is so aligned with what is happening with this Wiesach Scorpio full flower moon. There is a particular frequency for those of us who want to claim the highest timeline to really complete a 26,000 year cycle, a quantum leap in our ancestral healing. We are able to harness the phoenix power to transform, to purify, to revive, to breathe new life, and to renew spiritual focus. And I love how there's also this thread to the last eclipse portal, which was around Samhain and brought us into early December. And for many of us, I know that that eclipse portal was so intense myself, particularly went through great, great initiations. I mean, through the the death of Elder Maladoma and what I experienced when I was in Kemet in December of 2021, I have grown immensely in my work and my connection to the other world. And it's been beautiful, but that beauty has only come through ultimately because there was a lot of dissolving and there was a lot of suffering that had to clear the path for what is real and pure and true. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying we have to suffer to evolve because I think that that paradigm can be very limiting. And I think that ultimately we can find other ways and other forms. And also, I believe that we're in a time where we're learning about frequency and dissolving old patterns and paradigms. And to really clear out the dross requires the ability to meet it head on and to look it straight in the eyes and to breathe into that space and to be in presence with that. And many of us in our current culture, we're not quite sure how to do all of that. Like that, that's, that's awkward and uncomfortable and it's a process. And so that's where this illusion of suffering can set in. So there's this powerful opportunity with this eclipse and then it's sealed with this Mars-Neptune conjunction, which is allowing us to bring in respect, to um, acknowledge our own faults and to really create a pact to return to right action. We have an ability through this full flower moon to see the hidden side of things, to understand power exchanges and situations, and to sense when something is awry. We have the ability to avoid becoming over, overly suspicious of the motives of others and really lean into our own trust and our own frequency so we're clear we're really clear with our intuition of what the right the next right action will be it is important with this eclipse as we're maneuvering this labyrinth eclipse portal to 
not compromise your values or or integrity in exchange for being taken care of financially or materially. So I want to rephrase that in a more positive frequency. There's an invitation with this eclipse portal to be aware of where the patterns are, where you give up your power, where you give up your values, where you've given up your integrity in exchange for feeling like someone or your family or a corporation or some other entity is going to take care of you financially or materially. There's an invitation to be responsible with monies and to dissolve the expectation that others are going to take the responsibility. And this is about spiritual maturity and spiritual authority. We have an opportunity to build new value systems, to create new systems of security in regards to the earth preservation and conservation. And in that, because we're in such potent times, it's really important to avoid comparing yourself to others and your path to others. And this is where I'd like to just take a moment and and offer a little plug to, you know, feel free to like, you know, put your phone down, detach from social media here and there. It's really good for you. I know how important social media is. You know, I run a small business. I'm an entrepreneur. I know what happens when I do not post frequently. And I know that it's awesome. It's an awesome tool. And the psychology of what is happening on social media is it's really challenging to not compare yourself. It's also really challenging to feel like there's so much happening on these platforms and it it's so fast that it it can stir us up and create a lot of chaos and then we feel like we're not creating enough in our lives so this is an invitation for you to slow down and get more present and to really avoid comparing yourself to others and your path to others you are right on time. You are exactly where you need to be. And one of the ways the overculture keeps us doubting ourselves is by hypnotizing us into thinking that we have run out of time. There's not enough time. We're not far enough along in our paths. We're not evolved enough. The moment we doubt ourselves, we cut our energy in half immediately just like that. And the truth is we know nothing about other people's dharma and destiny and their karmas and the heavy lifting they're doing behind closed doors. And if you can flip the script and every time you see someone achieving something, if you can be happy for them and proud of them and even celebrate them, it creates a flow of frequency so that more people are going to celebrate you and you are going to have more energy to achieve your own dreams and your own destiny and your own dharma. And again, I want to reiterate, you know, as we consider the great feminine, the great goddess, there is plenty for all of us. And 
these are the times where the more we can support and elevate one another, we all win. So have faith in your ability to build, to attract resources, to acquire the wealth that you need. Do this in a good way, in a pure way, and believe in yourself. Believe in your ability to provide because Mother Earth is providing. Believe in your ability to provide. We know that the cost of living is going up. And so we all need to come to a place where we are attracting more finances so we can continue to invest in our value systems and we can spread wealth and we can help others who don't have access to resources and we can build systems where we're building bridge bridges so that the world becomes a space where wealth and the ability to accrue wealth is sustainable and also attainable. And this brings us into the labyrinthine medicine of the eclipses. It's interesting. I have been working with the symbol and the the beauty of the labyrinth for many, many years now, as an artist, as a devotee of the goddess, I got introduced to the labyrinth in college, I'm sure beforehand, but I know that I was studying the labyrinth. I really went deep into goddess women's studies in college, both academically and personally and professionally. And When I was working as a birth and postpartum doula in the late 2000s, before I was pregnant myself, I was a certified birthing from within childbirth educator and postpartum and birth doula, as well as donor certified. And I've... I've studied in many spaces and places over the years, and we worked in depth with the labyrinth through birthing from within. And if any of you out there are pregnant mamas or considering conceiving and you're looking for like one or two birth resources, I love Pam England's Birthing from Within book. It's it's a great, uh, it's just a great way to prepare, really, because birth is all about the unexpected and it's an initiation. And we live, for many of us, in a culture where we don't have many initiations that we've gone through and many of us are craving initiation on such a deep level. I also love any of Ina May's works, Ina May Gaskin, but particularly spiritually, spiritual midwifery is my top number one Ina May book. So those are my two like main go-tos for birth work. And the labyrinth is a symbol that is 
it's not just for the birthing world and it's not just for the world of goddess. It's for all of us. It's a very universal tool and it attracts people from all over the world. In fact, there are organizations that are built around labyrinths and labyrinth medicine, as I would call it. I remember when I lived in Los Angeles, there was a beautiful place I believe it was in Culver City. Um, it, it was in. It was not far from the neighborhood I lived in, in in the Pico Robertson neighborhood. Um, but there was a place where you could go and and walk the labyrinth. And there's many labyrinths across the earth. There's ancient ones. There's ones that modern day people are building. There's ones in in churches. I mean, they're all over. And the symbol of the labyrinth attracts us because ultimately it is a tool to guide healing. It helps us tap into our self-knowledge and it also empowers creativity. So if you choose to walk a labyrinth, you can also draw a labyrinth. And once you draw a labyrinth, you can trace the labyrinth with your finger. So it doesn't have to be really big. In fact, this is one of the exercises that we would do in the birthing from within childbirth classes that I would facilitate and that any anybody who mentored um, through Pam England's program was trained how to do this. But we would have the attendees draw these really large labyrinths and make them very beautiful and then when the the mother was in labor it was another tool she had and she could trace the labyrinth with her finger so tracing the labyrinth and walking the labyrinth and drawing the labyrinth all of these are ways to clear the mind and give insight into spiritual journey this creates an urge for action it calms the mind particularly when we are in the wilds of life transitions, which is exactly what an eclipse portal is. And it's so funny because I have been consciously studying eclipses for a good amount of years now, and I have a rich history with labyrinths, and it has literally taken me until the last couple of days for it to sink in that the labyrinth. The labyrinth is a beautiful tool for the eclipse season. And so I just want to give a shout out to Laura Palace uh, because she wrote specifically about grounding techniques during an eclipse. And what do you do when you're going through such high frequency upgrades and how do you stay grounded? And hopefully you've listened to episode 50, which I would imagine you have because I know you're an avid listener, Laura. But um, we, you know, in episode 50, I offer that garnet meditation and that's a really good way. And I, I culminated the episode with other suggestions, which we're going to revisit some of them in this episode too. However, I want to I want to add to the fire this labyrinth medicine because the labyrinth helps one to see their life in the context of a path of a pilgrimage to realize that we are spiritual beings on a human path, and working with the labyrinth helps us to move 
major emotions like grief and sorrow. Now, a labyrinth is not a maze. A maze is designed to be almost like a puzzle, whereas a labyrinth has one entrance. So there's one way in and one way out. And because of this, in many ways, it represents the divine feminine when we think about the traditional means of pregnancy and giving birth. And I say this because we're in a very controversial time where there are now children growing in pods that have never been created through making love, through an exchange of hormones, that are not being carried by a mother. They are literally growing in pods. And I know this because it was a presentation by Wendy Stacy at the OPA conference in Tucson, Arizona that I was just at. And it's so near and dear to my heart as I am. I mean, once a doula, always a doula. And so, you know, I am a doula. I do not practice as a birth and postpartum doula, but I am a doula. And I've sat with people through the dying process. So I've done the birth process, the death process. As a priestess and as a facilitator of pilgrimage, I have ushered many people through death portals because when we're on pilgrimage, parts of selves are dying for a great rebirth and renewal. And birth and death go hand in hand. This brings us to the goddess Ceres, the goddess of womb and tomb. And remember, she's making that transit into Cancer right before the Scorpio full moon. So this concept of children incubating in these pods, which is just to me is so freaky. And I know there's someone out there that could argument why it's a good thing. And I respect your opinions and you have your space for your opinions. However, this is a platform that I'm using and I rarely take a harsh stand on anything because I do believe in presenting with a neutral mind as much as possible. However, I studied with Michelle O'Donnell quite a lot, like in the sense I've read many of his books. I went deep into birth psychology. I workshopped with him. I mean, I didn't study one-on-one with him for many, many hours, but I met the man. I received an in-person transmission. He's an amazing, amazing birth worker, French obstetrician. If you've never heard of his work, check it out. Michel Odent, O-D-E-N-T. And um, he wrote many books around like undisturbed birth and water births. And he used to be a, a massive advocate for water births. And by the time that I met him, it was actually, I'm trying to remember, I, I had not given birth yet myself. Yeah, it was it was probably about six months before I became pregnant that I met him. And at that time, he was already beginning to advocate like really low key, quiet births. Like he was not a fan of the birthing tub. He really was advocating that women have as much hands off energy as possible. He said, you know, the best like person to attend the birth 
is a midwife who sits in the corner and knits and doesn't even say a word unless the mother needs her support. And that the father is really best off like in another room or maybe not even in the house altogether. And I remember like hearing that and I was kind of like, wow, you know, that's that seems extreme. Um, and I want to say all of this, this whole birth topic, these are seeds of potential for future podcasts. I've been wanting to get deeper into the realm of birth with you all through star stones and stories and to bring it back more into my work and weave it deeper into astrology readings as well, because there is such a, a key component with birth and how we move and maneuver through our lives. So I want to say we're not going to go deep into it in this episode because um, I want to stick with this labyrinth theme. That being said, um, there's quite a lot here to unpack and I don't want to leave you hanging too much. So I just want to say, you know, Michelle O'Donnell could be seen as seen as an extremist. However, there's a particular hormonal cascade that happens when a woman feels really safe. And as women, we are um, extremely sensitive, but even more so when we're pregnant. And then as we're going to give birth, that is like a thousand times amplified. And so if there's anyone in the field of the mother, and when I say field, I mean, I'm not just talking about physical field, even energetic field. I'm talking about if someone across a continent is really worried for that mother and that mother is psychically attuned, she's going to feel that fear and that fear can actually influence her ability to create the proper hormonal cascade. The proper hormonal cascade is everything. In fact, it is really the only way a mother can give birth undisturbed and at home is when she has the proper hormonal cocktail that we as humans innately create. However, many of us um, who are giving birth these days, and there are very few of us who were given birth, uh, who were given free of any drugs at our births. Many of us um, were born under an epidural and Pitocin, some from either, even other drugs, right? And so I'm not saying that it's not possible. It is. And I know it because I gave birth naturally. Um, and that being said, it, it makes it more challenging. So I'm just going to like shelve this topic because <laughs> there's so much more I could say about it. I mean, this is like, this is a passion project of mine, a part of my work that's kind of been up, tucked away on a shelf <laughs> for many, many, many years now. And I know it wants to come back for a reason. And so we will circle back around to it. And I'm super passionate about it. And I also want to say I respect all ways that women give birth and they all are births, right? So I never as a doula like would call um, a cesarean, like a C-section, um, 
like I would always call it a cesarean birth because it is a birth. There's a baby being born. The mother goes through an initiation. It is a process. It's very much different than a vaginal birth. However, it is a birth. And there's great compassion for all the ways we give birth in these times. And we also want to be advocates that the ability for women to give birth both vaginally and free of any pharmaceutical interventions and other forms of interventions, like that is an essential ingredient to the evolution of humanity. So just like a woman's yoni, a labyrinth has one entrance. And the labyrinth, when we journey through the labyrinth, it shifts the brain waves. So we have this ability to go into different states of consciousness, alpha, beta, theta, delta. And theta stage is this beautiful hypnotic trance stave stage I've been sharing with you that I've been studying quantum healing hypnosis technique, and I'm training to be certified within that. And when we go into that quantum healing hypnosis technique, we're we're sinking into that theta stage because that theta stage is where a lot of transformation can occur. So the labyrinth has one way in and one way out. It is a natural journey and a symbol of multidimensional layers, just like an eclipse portal, right? So yeah, there's Rahu and Ketu. There's the North Node and the South Node. However, ultimately, on one level or another, there's one way in and there's one way out. We're at a threshold. We're at the entrance to the womb of life and at the door, there's something that you've got to leave. You've got to leave a part of yourself. Many peoples throughout time and space have celebrated the labyrinth. The Hopi have two labyrinths. There's the square labyrinth and the round labyrinth. There is the the yantra There's a yantra from Rajasthan and Gujarat in India. There is the chakra Vuha labyrinth, which is described in the Mahabharata, which is an 11-circuit labyrinth. The Peruvians created the Nazca animal labyrinth in forms like the monkey and the spider. And this brings us to the serpent, the snake. Serpents and snakes are connected to dragons. The snake goddess is a version of the primordial goddess that is found, again, through many cultures across Mother Earth, including ancient Egypt, India. And the snake and the spiral are seen as one and the same in the ancient art of old Europe dating back to over 5000 BCE. Snakes conjure up vitality, rejuvenation, the mastery of kundalini, the ability to face death and walk through the fire into rebirth. The snake goddess is a mistress of sacred waters. 
much like the dragon, the snake goddess rules over life-giving waters and moves through a meander of etheric labyrinths. And we too are moving through a meander of etheric labyrinths. With eclipses, the brain, like that 11-circuit labyrinth from the Mahabharata, the brain operates up to 11 dimensions, perhaps even more. And with eclipses, we can time bend. We can literally move around a circle and find ourselves at a new space and place. And so I wish to invite you on a meditation to time bend. You can access this through deep meditation. So again, you can come with us to the Scorpio full flower moon event that I'm offering. You can sign up for that on my website, earthseedtemplearts.com. The link is in the show notes as well. You can also stand straight facing a direction that feels least comfortable for you. And then you can state your intention of where you wish to go in your life and really feel it, taste it, smell it, touch it, hear it, allow all the senses to embrace it and take five deep breaths and turn counterclockwise 360 degrees as you are literally working with the curve of the natural world. And this curve is symbolic. And at the same time, you're physically turning the energy around your electromagnetic field. And so this reality of time bending ultimately is about frequency. And when we're going through great transformation to be present to be in our presence is key to this time bending. So really becoming grounded and centered in your body, inviting your higher self in from the base of your spine to the crown of your head and breathing, breathing deeply, being present in this now moment, allowing yourself as you feel all of the upgrades feeling that higher state of consciousness and staying connected to that by staying aligned with what is pure and real and true for you and your own unique individual sovereignty. And as you stay connected to that, you will continue to stay on that high frequency. We are all walking within the other world. The other world is walking through us. It is a state of consciousness, the subtle realms of consciousness. Every day at dawn and at dusk, the other world is more present than usual. The nights of the new or full moons are gateways to the other world. The sacred days of the wheel of the year, as we recently just celebrated Beltana in the Northern Hemisphere and Samhain in the Southern Hemisphere, we have once more turned the wheel of the year. Our next celebration will be the summer solstice 
and in the southern hemisphere it will be winter solstice in June of 2022. As we are in this time, I invite you to sink deeper into the intelligence of the earth, intelligence of nature, of water, of mineral, of fire. We are in this year of 2022. It is the year of the ancestors. It is the year of fire. As we burn our sacred candles and our sacred fires, we are literally communing with the ancestral realm. I transmit these podcasts to you from my closet, although I'm no longer in the closet. I sit literally at the feet of my ancestral altar, gazing into this flame of the ancestors as I transmit to you. So these star stones and stories are ultimately an offering of devotion to all of our ancestors. Because we are entwined in this web of life, your ancestors are my ancestors, and my ancestors are your ancestors. We are in the sacred, holy dance. And to be here now, to be in these human bodies, it is a gift. It is wild at times. It stretches us. There are times where we want out. We want to push that eject button. However, we came for these times. So I say to you, to all the midwives, to the mothers, to the womb ones, to the wild-hearted ones, the she-wolves, the mystics, the medicine makers, the medicine women, and the medicine men, the fathers, the soil workers, the farmers, the chantresses, the chanters, the wise ones, the healers, the shamans, the lovers, the teachers, the artists, the daughters and the sons, the grandmothers and the grandfathers, all of our beloved crones and teachers, I say in devotion to the great mother of all that she is we. She stands for all aspects of life, and she knows how to doula death and life. She honors all races, genders, classes, creeds, religions, beliefs, choices around lifestyles, sexuality, and all the topics that humans love to fight over. She honors all through a grace of great compassion. There is more than enough for each one of us to sit at the table of plenty, to sit together with tenderness and grace at this table of plenty, of abundance, of fertility. There's more than enough for all of us to not only survive on planet Earth, but to thrive. May we find more ways to practice deep listening, to link arms, and to honor each other's hearts.
as you navigate this eclipse portal, remember to drink lots of water. Extra water is needed during the eclipses. I try to drink at least three liters a day on a normal day. Lately, I've been drinking four, five, and six liters. Adaptogens and nourishing herbal infusions can be great allies. I love Tulsi, Reishi, Oat Straw, Lavender, Rose, Earthing, Standing Barefoot on Mother Earth, Connecting with Her Frequency, Breathing, Taking Long Deep Breaths. Also, going out in nature and hiking barefoot is phenomenal. It is such a beautiful way to reset your nervous system. If you find you're really sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies, uh, you can look into getting a diode to keep your body grounded, which I wear on a daily basis, and it helps me so much. Work with your stone allies, your mineral friends. They are your friends, they are your allies, and as you commune with them, they will support you. Carve out time each day to be electronically free. Less is more. Put away your device. Turn it off. Unplug it. You won't miss much, I promise. And those that matter will still be there when you turn it on. (laughs) Enjoy a craft consider a pilgrimage or a retreat for reflection and deeper renewal. And as always, when things feel really intense, just breathe and give gratitude. Find three things that are working and give gratitude for them. Mentally chant victory and place the tip of the tongue up to the roof of the mouth and visualize your victory through your third eye as you take some nice long deep breaths three long deep breaths as the old falls away new potentials are coming to life you are that phoenix rising from the ashes this is a scorpio wisak full moon that is coming working with the great archetype of the phoenix And like that chiastolite, there's an opportunity to transform, to quantum leap through your ancestral lineage 26,000 years. May there be peace in the East. May there be peace in the South. May there be peace in the West. May there be peace in the North. And may there be peace deep down into the heart of Mother Earth. May this peace radiate through the cosmos, vibrating through the frequency of the cosmos to the heart of true source. And may this peace come to live and breathe within your heart, your sacred time travel device. And so it is, and so it is. And so it is. Ashe. I'd like to share this prayer with you to close our circle. Prayer for stability. 
I stand today and for all times as a wise and loving adult in this world. I trust in myself and I trust in the goodness in all hearts. I hold love and stability in this world and fashion my life accordingly. I honor and respect those who may be fearful and recognize that many are still young. I will live with my eyes, ears, and heart open. I will build the life I came to build. And so it is. As we prepare to journey together, please find a comfortable seated space or come to lie down, relaxing your body, making sure you're free of any heavy machinery and that all of your needs, physical needs, are tended to turning off any electronics and coming to be present in this space here and now. Closing the eyes, relaxing the body, coming to the breath. As you begin to breathe, long, deep breaths. Feel yourself fully anchored here and now. Cords of light, red, gold, and silver light coming from the palms of the hands, the soles of the feet, the base of the spine, beginning to spiral and anchor you down, down, down into the great Earth Mother, down into great grandmother hematite, anchoring you into this present here now knowing that your ancestors and your high holy guides and guardians are protecting you in this physical space as you begin to journey. And you find yourself, you find yourself being filled with the rays of the sun the great cosmic sun of creation. You find these rays of the sun pouring in through every cell of your body. You find yourself breathing in this golden radiant light And as you're carried through these codes of light, you find yourself magnetically pulled all the way to the great cosmic womb of creation, to that galactic center, to that space of darkness. 
And in this darkness, you feel the duality, you feel the light and the dark, the codes of intelligence wrapping around your entire being, magnetically pulled. And as you're traveling into this womb of great creation, you find yourself seated on this beautiful stone floor in the small, tiny temple. And you open your eyes, and as you open your eyes, you see before you the great goddess Sekhmet. She stands before you and a shaft of light pours over the crown of her head, her solar disk fully illuminated, the Uraeus, the snake of protection coming out from her crown, from her third eye where she sees you, she sees through you, all of you, and you gaze into her eyes, she gazes into your eyes, and you feel that connection, you feel the great cosmic womb, you feel the purity of the solar rays of light, and you hold her gaze and you feel her moving through all of you. She asks you, she asks you within your mind's eye, where, where, where are the pieces hidden? Where have you hidden from yourself? And you begin to see time after time the places you have shut down your truth. You begin to feel that sacred rage where you have shut down your truth. And she holds the gaze and as she holds the gaze, you feel the breath, you feel the fire pulsing through you. You feel in this moment the purity of her flames passing through the sinews of your body where you have held on to anything that is not in your integrity. She burns this dross away. She burns the dross of your ancestors away. You feel hot. You feel her breath all around you. And you hold her gaze, you continue to breathe long, deep breaths all the way deep down from your womb. 
feeling the base chakra, the root chakra spinning healthfully, that red wheel of light moving up into the womb space, that orange chakra spinning healthfully, moving up into your solar plexus, that yellow chakra spinning healthfully, moving up into the heart, that green wheel of light, pink wheel of light spinning healthfully, moving up into the throat, that blue wheel of light spinning healthfully, moving up into the third eye, that indigo wheel of light spinning healthfully, moving up into the crown, that violet wheel of light spinning healthfully, your entire physical body pulsating, feeling, feeling the solar rays from the great central sun, filling up every cell of your being as you continue to hold Sekhmet's gaze. And you allow anything and everything that is not yours, that is not of your authenticity and your integrity and your royalty and your divine sovereignty, you allow it to come up to be cleared. And she holds it with you through your gaze. She breathes you feel that hot, fiery breath move through you, purifying the dross, allow it to burn off. And you stay, you stay with it, you stay with where it feels awkward and uncomfortable and you breathe, and you breathe into it and you know you've got the backing and the might of your ancestors. And the space begins to shift. The frequency begins to shift. She continues to hold your gaze and you feel a coolness now. You feel the great Kundalini energy coming from the base of your spine on either sides of the spine, beginning to weave these two serpents. You feel, you feel your ka body sitting back to back with your physical vessel you feel this merging of the divine masculine and the divine frequency of the feminine moving through each chakra coming all the way up and out and you feel this mystical marriage of these serpents rise up from the crown of your head into the uraeus of sekhmet traveling up and out in to the great cosmic womb of creation, all the way into the great cosmic sun of creation. And you feel this stillness, this sense of peace and purity as you claim your divine birthright, as you breathe in this golden nectar of your authenticity. And you find yourself flying on the back of your dragon through and all around the great cosmic sun. And you find yourself 
flying alongside your sisters and brothers, your guides and guardians, your ancestors, they're all on their own dragons. You find yourself with the might and the force of your divine sovereignty. And you fly through time and space. You fly to those sacred lands and spaces that your heart holds so dear. You see the memories, the ancient memories of who you are rise to the surface and you claim them as your truth for this is truth here and now and you claim it with the power and the prestige of the lion's gate portal you claim it into every ounce of who you are and who you came here to be And you see yourself flying down to earth, flying down into your home. And you see yourself merge with your physical body. And you come back into this space and you breathe. You breathe deep into your womb, into your belly. You bring your right hand to your womb space, your left hand to your heart. And you hold the vision through your third eye and you activate the three grails, the chalices of wisdom of the Magdalene lineage that is you, that has always been you. And you give thanks. Dive in with me at earthseedtemplearts.com and you can follow me on Instagram at earthseedtemplearts. Thank you so much for sharing sacred space. My prayer is that we as individuals awaken to the reality that each one of us is a hologram for the collective. By being fierce in our authentic truth, we have the opportunity to elevate life on this exquisite planet Earth. Crystallize your medicine.